This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Will Chester. Well, you guys can take a seat. I'm, uh, if you don't know, my name is Will. I'm the youth pastor here at Church of the Resurrection. And um, I'm, yes, youth group, Res Youth. We meet Wednesday night, 6.30 to 8.30. It's a good time, right? Yes, yes, Res Youth folks. Um, well, I, I understand if folks are a little sleepy this morning, because after all, it is the beginning of the liturgical year. So happy new year to you. Yes, yes, happy new year. So I know that many of you were up late last night, all the way to midnight. I heard fireworks in Wheaton. I heard, um, I heard of people, you know, cheering with, with champagne glasses, smooching their significant others, all to bring in the new liturgical year, right? No, that, that doesn't happen. That's, well, I mean, if you're really into this Anglican thing, maybe that would happen, but, but normally that doesn't happen because Advent doesn't begin with a bang, like New Year's. Advent begins with a pause. Advent begins with a, an inhale and exhale as we remember why Jesus came in the first place and why we so desperately need him to return. And so this morning we're, we're talking about the second coming and that's what we do the first week of Advent every year. We talk about the second coming. And I don't know about you and, and kind of how you grow up, but I know for me talking about the second coming and, and the passage we read this morning signs and the sun and the moon and the stars, roaring of the sea and the waves, that fills me with a lot of different feelings. I mean, so if you grew up in a tradition that really hammered on the end times, then maybe you're feeling some, some confusion, some dread, you're thinking of images of, of chaos and destruction. Or maybe, maybe you're hearing about judgment and you're thinking, why are we talking about judgment now? Isn't this a a nice, happy season? Why do we have to bring that in now? Or maybe you're fearful that that, that judgment might actually fall on you. And that's why you don't sit easily with passages like this. Or maybe the second coming is just confusing to you and you think, you know, that's kind of passe. That's, that's for the guy on the street corner with the big obnoxious sign. That's, that's not really something that respectable people talk about. And so what I want to do this morning is to kind of demystify the second coming. Because when Paul talks about the second coming in Titus chapter 2, he says that the second coming is our blessed hope. The second coming is our blessed hope that Jesus is going to return and restore this earth to what it was meant to be. And that means that for the Christian, the second coming is a reason for joy. It's a reason for joyful expectation. We don't need to fear the second coming. but We should await it with cheerfulness, with hope. Because as Jesus says, our redemption is near. And at the very least, I can promise you this, at the end of this sermon you're gonna be 20 minutes closer to that redemption than you are right now. And that is reason for hope. So our passage comes at the end of a long series of teachings. In fact, if you have a Bible, you can go there now. Luke chapter 21. 
So the passage we read this morning comes after this long series of teachings where Jesus is in the temple. Palm Sunday has just happened. This is the last week of his earthly ministry before dying on the cross. And he's got a lot of things to say there in chapter 21, and it's kind of these three prophecies about the end times. And he kind of does this zoom out, zoom in thing at different parts in the chapter. And so it can be hard to wrap your mind around just what is happening. And so, so let me offer you this. I think a way to summarize what Jesus is saying in these prophecies in Luke chapter 21 is this. Jesus is saying, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. No matter what happens, no matter what disasters befall this earth or even you, keep your eyes on me. So people are asking, how do we know when the end is going to come? And Jesus says it's going to happen like this. First, there's going to be persecution of his followers. That they're going to be dragged before judges and magistrates and asked to answer for the hope that they have. And Jesus says, don't determine in your mind what you're going to say beforehand. Trust me. Trust that I'm going to speak through you. Keep your eyes on me. He says, even, even if you should die, not a hair on your head will perish because you'll live through me. So that's the first prophecy. And we see this begin to take place in the book of Acts with the martyrdom of Stephen. So the second prophecy that Jesus gives is that the temple, in fact, all of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And again, he's saying, keep your eyes on me. Don't look to the temple where God has promised to dwell because God has come to you in the form of a man. Keep your eyes on me. Dark days are ahead, but keep your eyes on me. And sure enough, that prophecy was fulfilled 40 years later. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Magnificent temple. And so then we come to our passage. Jesus says in verse 25 that there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. What does this mean, signs in the sun, moon, and stars? Roaring of the sea and the waves. What you're gonna see is Jesus is saying the same thing here. Keep your eyes on me. Things are bad. They may even get worse. But keep your eyes on me. Now it could be that Jesus is saying that someday we could expect, you know, these meteorological signs, these astronomical signs in the heavens above to signal that the end is coming. And if all you had to go on was this passage, you might think that. But if you read Jesus in the context of the prophets, I mean, prophets that, that we heard about this summer, the minor prophets like Amos and Joel, if you read Jesus in the context of prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel, you see that Jesus is riffing on things that they've already said. He's using poetic language to talk about the tumult, the wars and rumors of wars, the earthquakes and famine that are coming, that have been coming upon this world. And so you say, well, haven't these things always been happening? And that's part of Jesus' point here. Yes, these things have been happening. You can expect more of the same as that day approaches. 
because the day that Isaiah looks into the future and sees is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord when, when God would turn over all of the injustice, all of the wrongdoing, all of the natural disasters that plague us in this life and would redeem this world to what it was meant to be from the beginning of creation. Isaiah is looking forward to the day of the Lord. Jesus is talking about the day of the Lord, and he says these days have begun. So we see, a, we see a few themes here. They're very Advent themes. First, Jesus is saying that we're not waiting for the end times. We're living in them. I mean, Peter and, and Paul and James all write in the New Testament that the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, is at hand. And the second thing that Jesus is saying here is that to be human, to be human in this world is to be vulnerable. To be human in this world is to be vulnerable to suffering. That's not something that we can escape. I mean, think of the, the poetic picture that Jesus is drawing here. He's saying, signs in the heavens above, roaring of seas below, and here where we are on the earth, on the land, distress, this feeling of being trapped of being boxed in, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. We can't escape our own vulnerability. And maybe this, maybe this hit home for some of you this week when we got a relatively light snowstorm. I mean, the snow was really heavy. The snow itself was really heavy. It wasn't that many inches, but many of us lost power for days. And all of a sudden, here in the western suburbs, we were reminded of our vulnerability. One snowstorm in our house is all of, all of a sudden just as cold inside as the air outside. To be human is to be vulnerable. And third, we can't save ourselves. That's an Advent theme. We cannot save ourselves. I mean, there's this popular saying right now that the arc of the universe, the arc of human history is bending towards justice. You can trust in the goodness of human nature that given enough time, progress will happen and this world will become what we all long for it to be. And it only takes a short study of the 20th century to pose a stark counterpoint to that argument. A short study of the violence in the 20th century. But Jesus, you know, I don't have time to, to argue that point here, but I can just say this, that Jesus is drawing a different picture here. This is not uh, a picture of, of the end getting better and better and better with human progress. This is a picture of things going on as normal, suffering going on as normal, vulnerability going on as normal. We can't escape that. Our world is just as vulnerable to sin and death as it always has been. And that's why in verse 26, he says that the nations are fainting with fear and foreboding at what is coming on the world. People are fainting with fear and foreboding about what is coming on the world. I mean, I, when I think just about the, the current time that we live in, it's hard to think of words that capture the moment better than that. There are many fainting with fear and foreboding about what's coming on the world. I mean, maybe you heard just this week that for the third straight year, life expectancy in the U.S. has remained stagnant or actually gone down. That hasn't happened in 100 years since World War I. 
Suicide is on the rise. Drug overdose is on the rise. People see the signs in the sun, moon, and stars. They see the chaos, the raging of the seas, and they don't know what to do about it. We don't know what to do about it. We can't save ourselves. And so in that picture that Jesus draws, this fearful picture of our present condition, he says this, the whole chapter leads up to this. It says in verse 27, but the Son of Man is coming again in great power and glory. You will see him coming on the clouds, which is to say that your redemption is near. Your redemption is near. You can't save yourself. You're vulnerable, but your Savior is on the way. Your Savior is coming. Jesus is coming to do something about poverty. Jesus is coming to do something about racial injustice. Jesus is coming to do something about hunger and sickness and strife. Jesus is coming to do something about the suffering that you're experiencing in your family right now. Jesus is coming to make this world what it was meant to be. That's the point of this passage. That's the point of all this discussion about the end times, is to look to the day of the Lord. And how do we look at that day? We wait for that day with hope. Not fear and foreboding, we wait with this posture of hope. Look at verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus says, your response to the second coming, to the news that Jesus is coming to restore this world is one of hope, it's one of joy, it's one of expectation. Hope is a posture in the midst of suffering. And so you can see the way that, that Jesus is, is showing it the difference of hope between a, a couple other responses to suffering. And so we've already talked about you know, what we might call like freaking out the fear and foreboding that fill so many hearts today. Jesus says, hope is not being bound up in fear. Hope is not being bound up in the news cycle where your moods and your attitudes dip and and, and wane with every bad story that you hear. But he says later in verse 34 that hope, hope is not drunkenness, it's not dissipation, it's not being weighed down with the cares of this life. We could call those things checking out. Hope is not checking out, it's not self-medicating using Netflix or, or social media or any other thing. It's not avoiding suffering. But hope is being right in the midst of suffering. Hope is seeing the signs all around that we can't save ourselves. Hope is looking to the heavens saying, God, I trust in you. Are you here? Are you listening? Do you see what I see? We're gonna come back to that at the end. Hope is a posture in the midst of suffering. It's a posture of engagement where fear, freaking out, and and checking out are postures of disengagement. Hope is a posture of engagement. But let me just kind of pause for a minute to show why this theme of of hope in the second coming fits so perfectly with the Christmas season 
that we're waiting for. And so this is a slight preview of Advent chapter, or Advent four, week four, when the fourth candle here is lit. This is a short preview, but back in Luke chapter one, Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And she sings a song, and Luke records that song for us, and we call it the Magnificat. And if this were a Hallmark movie, you might expect Mary to sing this, this beautiful song about what it was like to be greeted by an angel in the middle of the night and find that, well, you're gonna be pregnant, you're gonna have a baby, he's gonna be the Messiah. You might expect, if this were a Hallmark Mary, that she'd be singing about how cute this baby is, how she's a little nervous, but she's excited too. She can't wait to hold him and cuddle him. That would be the Hallmark Mary. But the Hallmark Mary isn't the Mary we get here. We get the biblical Mary. We get Mary who's a theologian who knows her scriptures. We get Mary who is a child of Israel, who's a member of an oppressed people, who knows what it means to suffer. And so the song that she sings is not this cute little Hallmark song, but she sings about revolution. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He's exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things. He's sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel just as he promised. When Mary contemplates the child in her womb, what she sees is the same thing that Isaiah and Ezekiel saw. What she sees is the day of the Lord, when God's redemption comes near once and for all. Mary sees the same thing that we're looking forward to when we look to the second coming, that Jesus is indeed the answer to all of the earth's problems. What Mary didn't see was the cross. What Mary couldn't see is the way that God would deal with sin and death by taking it into his own person, dying on the cross so that death would die with him. Mary couldn't see that. Mary couldn't see this long time that we're living in now between the cross and his second coming. She couldn't quite see the way that grace and mercy would be extended to the nations. This invitation, come, Come join Israel. Come be grafted in to the family of God. She couldn't see all of that, but she could see that her redemption was near, that this child in her womb would bring about redemption for the whole world. And so today we hope, we hope right along with Mary for the fulfillment, for the unveiling of the victory that Jesus won on the cross. That's what apocalypse means. Apocalypse, we're used to it just being this scary word, but apocalypse means unveiling, revealing the victory that Jesus has already won. That's what we're waiting for. And hope isn't just optimism, it isn't just this sentimental feeling that surely things will get better, I think. No, hope is confident assurance. We have faith in Christ's work on the cross. We have faith in his resurrection. We have faith that he's coming again, and we wait in hope, confident expectation that Jesus will do just what he's promised to do. 
we keep our eyes on Jesus despite the suffering of this life. So let me finish by talking about what hope does for us here and now. Because there's a, there's a counter argument to the picture that I'm drawing here. And the counter argument goes something like this. They say that when you hope, when you hope in, this, in Christ's return, in this redemption that's coming later and isn't fully realized now, when you do that, you're, you're just escaping from the world's problems. You're escaping from injustice. You know, there's that phrase, so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. That's the complaint here. You're waiting for this day, but people are suffering here and now, and what are you gonna do about it? And in many places, that complaint is true of Christians like us who have turned away from injustice. But that's not a picture of hope. That is indeed a picture of escapism. But hope looks different than that. Real hope looks different than that. And when you look to the examples of the saints in the church, what you see is that hope didn't, didn't uh, make them turn away from suffering. It didn't make them turn a blind eye to injustice. It actually made them step into that suffering and the confidence that God would, is going to do something about it. That God is gonna do something about that suffering. Real hope faces into suffering. Hope is, is empowering, it's energizing, it's enlivening. I mean, you see this, if, if you read uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, what does he say? He says, I have seen the promised land. I've seen where we're going. And I might not get there myself, but we are gonna get there. We might not be able to bend the arc of the universe towards justice, but Jesus can, and Jesus will. And that's what he was waiting for, whether he ended up there or not. And he embraced incredible suffering for that. He stepped right into it. He made his life harder because he was hopeful because he knew that his life wasn't about avoiding suffering. His life was about proclaiming the glory to come. His life was about welcoming the kingdom here and now and awaiting the kingdom to come in glory. And the victory of Jesus would be revealed once and for all. And you can think of it like this. This is the picture that came into my mind this morning. I mean, imagine, imagine you're, you're on this hike. I mean, there's a hike in Maine. I can picture exactly this moment in this image. And it's this hike up to this, this it's called Bald Mountain, this, this top of the mountain where it's all rock. There are no trees, and you can see for miles around. And on the way up to that mountain, as, as, you know, as I'm struggling up the hill, as I'm, as I'm climbing, there's a certain spot where you can see this, this clearing. And all of a sudden, you can see a little glimpse of the vista that's, that's coming. And nobody who has real hope, nobody who's driven to see hope ultimately and finally realized would get to that vista and say, oh, that's pretty good. I think I'll go home now. No, but hope drives you forward into suffering. Why? Because you want to see the whole thing displayed. You want to see the whole thing revealed. And so you keep trudging up the mountain. Hope drives you back into suffering. And I see this happening in our own church. I see this happening in our own church through th initiatives like Walk Across the Street. I see this happening in, uh, in um, our Sanctity of Life ministry 
where we're sitting before this, this problem of abortion in the United States, this problem that we don't have great solutions for, this problem that seems interminable sometimes, like we're not gonna be able to fix this in this life. But men and women in this church invite hardship into their lives because they see a day when abortion is no more. They see a day when women and men are cared for, and that's not even an option for them. They see a day when life is treasured by all, and that motivates them to give their lives here and now. That's what hope does, it empowers us. It causes us to face into suffering, and not away, because we see the glory that's to come. We see that our redemption is near. And so Church of the Resurrection, this morning, as you wait in Advent, as you wait for redemption, would you not fall into patterns of of fear, freaking out or checking out? Would you stay engaged in the midst of suffering, whether that's a big issue that you don't know what to do about, and all you can do is just pray and bring it before the Lord and wait for him to tell you what to do, whether it's a big issue like that or whether it's a, small, a smaller issue that only you know about in your family system. Would you look on those sufferings with hope that your redemption is near and you will not be disappointed. Have hope in this life. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because when that day comes, you will not be disappointed. In the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.